We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. I love that speech, man. To me, this is one of the most powerful speeches ever given. And I, this, is, this is the deal. He knew what was in his heart. And some of us, actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but some of you guys know that the portion that we started with, and it goes into I Have a Dream, actually was not planned. It was spontaneous or extemporaneous, if you want to have a more fancy word. Did you guys know that? that there was a point before this that actually Dr. King pauses and a gospel singer named Mahalia Jackson shouts to him like she's sitting behind him. and She says, tell him about that dream. Martin, tell him about that dream. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? You can, you can watch this. You can watch History Channel and you can watch the, the, his um, speech advisor, I forget his first name, but last name is Jones, tells this story. Because he actually wrote the beginning of the speech, and then, he's, and then when Mahalia Jackson shouted out, tell him about the dream, tell him about the dream. It, you, this is what, you can see this in the videos. He moves his speech papers aside and just looks out at the people. I have a dream, and he goes on to tell people things. This is wild, man. And this was a man who not only had a dream that changed the face and the course of American history, but this was a man who knew what was in his heart. I'm like, how many of y'all know that you don't need notes to tell people what's in your heart? Let me just put the notes aside and let me just tell you what's really burning inside of me. This is what Martin did. And man, I, I just, you know, he had given this speech various times before. That's probably how the gospel singer knew about it. But it was different this time. This time it was making history. And tonight we're starting a mini series called Dreamers. Everyone say Dreamers. And, and, and this is the deal. Tonight is called Defining the Dream, and we're looking at discovering what's in our hearts and trying to define what's in our hearts. We're going like, God, you know, Martin had a dream, but there's a dream inside of each one of our hearts that God placed inside of there. And our job is to discover what God has put inside of our hearts. Each of us has a calling from God, and our general purpose, everyone has a calling and a purpose. Our, everyone has a, the same purpose, is to glorify God. I mean, one catechism, you know, Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is our purpose in life, to enjoy God and to glorify Him. But inside of our purpose, Purpose. Let's just say that the purpose is the destination, but the calling is the means to get to the destination. And everyone has a purpose, which is the same, to glorify God, to know him, to make him known. But then inside of that, each one of us has a specific calling to get us to that purpose. You follow what I'm saying? Like if you're a, a soccer player, you know that the goal is to get that soccer ball into the stinking net. You know what I mean, right? Just say Amen. But help me understand, not everybody has the same position. Everyone has different positions. I don't really know what the names are. Carly, what are the names? I don't know what the names are. Lots of names. Forward, is that a name? Yes. See, right? Come on, she knows. But everyone has a different calling, but the same goal is to win that stinking game. You know what I'm saying? 
And, and the point is, is that we all have the purpose to glorify God, but each one of us has a calling. God has put something into our hearts. Each of us has a specific calling and role to play. And whether it's an upfront role or more of a hidden role, each one of us has something to play. I'm going to just scoot this up so I have more room to move up here. I might, this might be the spitting zone, but it's all good. I'm going to understand, like, Moses was called to lead Israel out of Egypt. Joshua was called to lead Israel into the promised land. Esther was called to save the people, her, her own people. Paul was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Jesus, when he came on the earth, he had a mission. Like 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, Of whom I am the worst. But besides that, this is the deal. Jesus had a mission, and these are just the popular ones. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are people who supported Moses and supported Joshua and supported Paul. Ben and Hur lifted up Moses' hands during battle. There's women who supported Jesus' ministry. Barnabas believed in Paul before anyone else did. And I wonder how many others have gone unnoticed who are amazing people, unseen by the masses, yet seen by God, making an impact for his glory because they discovered what their calling was. They discovered what the dream was that God put in his heart. How many understand that we are, we are not accidents? Like, it's not like God, you know, we're just some mistake that ended up on the earth and God has to shuffle around and find something for us to do because he feels bad. You know what I mean? God actually has a purpose for us. And you can write this down. Ephesians 1.4 says that God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. This means this. That, how many understand like Genesis 1.1? Do you all know what it says? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I don't know about you, but for, for a lot of time in my life, I thought that was really the beginning. And then I realized that there was things that happened before the beginning. Like Ephesians 1.4. <laughs> Just as he chose us in him before. Everyone say before. Before the foundation of the world. So Genesis 1-1 is really the beginning of time, but not the beginning of you. That means beginning started, God thought of you. That in order for someone to choose you, that means they have to think about you. And that means God was not just thinking like you were just some random thing that just happened to be, and oh crap, I got to find a purpose for him now that they're on the earth. Ah! Like God actually was thinking of you before you were made, before you were conceived, before your mom and dad even thought about you. God was thinking about you, and scripture tells us that he actually chose you, he handpicked you. And even besides that, John 17 tells us that Jesus, that God loved Jesus before the foundation of the world, and God loves us with the same love that he loves Jesus. So that means not only this, God was thinking about you, God chose you and God loved you and had you in his mind before the planet was even formed. You have a purpose. Come on, are you alive today? Come on. You have a purpose and you were chosen. You were thought of by God like God actually thought through your life before you were ever made. God has a calling for your life and God loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus. And, and so if he loved Jesus and gave him a plan and a purpose and a calling as reason for coming to save sinners, then how much would he do the same for us? And I just, I just know that, that God has an intention and a dream for our lives, but we have to discover what's in our hearts. The question for us tonight is what has God put in your heart? What has God put inside of your heart? I was reading this, this book the other day, uh, Translating God by Sean Bowles. It's a pretty gnarly book. 
You guys might have heard of this guy. He's the guy who called me and Rochelle out by name and told us what our son's name was and told us what we did for a living or what I did for a living and what we do. And then he also said that you recorded a CD project in January of 2015 and I never met him before. Pretty crazy. Anyway, so here's the deal. I'm just going to read a little bit because I thought this story was so powerful. He says, I was in Hawaii in 2012. The condo I stayed at was beautiful, but its entrance was very close to the area's late night red light district. So it was one block away from the main strip of Honolulu. I was hungry, and the only thing that was open after 10.30 when I got dropped off was a sub sandwich shop, so I headed there. It was a safe but seedy, seedy area after 10 p.m. I'm going to replace that word seedy with sketchy because that's kind of what he's trying to say here. <laughs> he said, on the way, a Hawaiian in his young 20s tapped my arm and said, <clears throat> hey, brah, you need anything tonight? Is that right? Is that pretty good? I knew whatever he was selling wasn't anything I was buying. So I said, nope, I'm good. I'm just out for a sandwich. And he says, come on, bro. You want some weed? And he put his hands to... <laughs> my family's Hawaiian, so when I get around my family, it's how we talk. Yeah, try give me the rice. You get that chicken adobo. Come on. The come on, I just added. But anyway, he said... So, so we asked him if he wanted weed, and he said, no, that would make me hungry. I just want a sandwich. <laughs> And he laughed and said, you want a girl? And he pointed at three teenagers sitting at a closed diner's entrance that I hadn't noticed previously. It was two boys and a girl, all under 18, and the girl was only around 15. I got mad right away that he was trying to offer me this young girl who was not dressed to be a prostitute like the others down the street. He, she looked very new or uninitiated in prostitution, but he was still offering her to me. I said, no, but I want to talk to her real fast, and he walked over to her. He said, hey, I'm Sean, what's your name? And her wannabe pimp came over and stood beside me and seemed at ease with me talking to her based on our previous report. Uh, he made up a name, so he says, Kayla. He said, um, or she said, answering what her name was, and he asked her, what's your dream in life? And she said, what do you mean? I don't have a dream. And so he responds and says, well, I'm a Christian pastor I'm a Christian and a pastor, and God talks to me about his dreams for me and helps me to form my own. So let's pray for a minute and ask God to show you a dream for your life. He thought of you for millions of years before he ever created you. So let's ask him what he thought about. Come on. And she said, um, okay, sort of confused and amused. Okay, borrow my faith and repeat after me, then wait for an answer. That's what he tells her. He's going to talk inside of you. Jesus, you love me and created me to enjoy life and live it to its fullness. Show me something that I was created for. She repeated it and then said, whew. That's how I read that word. And the two guys on either side were giggling until she said that. She looked like she legitimately felt she heard something. What did you hear? I asked. I heard I should be a cook. She said it with no insecurity, but had a look of wonder on her face, like she had never expected that there could be anything else than the nothingness that had driven her to the streets. You mean like a chef? Do you like to cook food? I asked. I think so. I haven't really done much of it, but yeah, I do. She was amazed. Before I let her ponder it too much, I said, God wouldn't give you such a great idea without giving you steps to take, like tomorrow toward this dream. So let's ask him for some steps. Repeat after me. Father, you showed me something that I can do that would make me feel fulfilled and feel your heart. What is, a, what is a step I can take this week toward it? 
she repeated that and said, whoa. <laughs> I don't know if she said it like me, but that's how I say, whoa. Her friend next to her had huge white eyes and said, what, Kayla? God said to call my uncle who owns a diner. <laughs> I never talked to him because my mom hated him and never let us call him or see him. Notice the first time she just heard something inside. The second time she knew it was God and acknowledged him. And so he says, Kayla, do you promise me you will call him tomorrow and talk to him about this? And she promised she would. We were exchanging phone numbers when the guy next to her said he wanted a dream too. So we prayed and he had a similar encounter. (laughs) Kayla called me the the day she talked to her uncle. He and his wife were Christians and had been praying for her, especially since she had run away. They were so happy that she called. She told them that God showed her, or she told them what God showed her. They hired her and brought her to live with them. She was an incredible asset to their business, such a hard worker and very smart about ideas that could bring in a fresh crowd to the diner they owned that was frequented mostly by older locals. The business grew fast as she partnered with them both on food and business topics. This is good stuff, huh? It was so amazing because when she was turning 17, she called me to update her, to update me on her amazing turnaround in life. She had been saved for a while, was living with her uncle and aunt, and had finished school early with a full high school degree. She managed their dinner. She, she managed their diner too. Then she said, uncle wants me to open up another location and wants me to be a co-owner and help. I was excited for her. He said, are you going to go to school for business or culinary arts? She's like, I don't have time. We're opening it next month. I will own it in just a few years. She says, God's dream for me is bigger than I thought. And he says, I was so excited for her. Can you imagine God spoke to her? I didn't prophesy to her. I simply helped her believe that God loved her enough to have a conversation with her. Come on with that. So when I say things like, he chose you before the foundation of the world, we can't just put it in a little, oh, cool, let me just put that in my little Christian box of more facts that I know about God. We believe this stuff changes our lives, man. Like God thought about us millions of whatever. I don't even understand eternity, but I'm just saying like he thought of us. And when he thought of you, like what was he thinking about when he thought of you and he chose you and he loved you before the foundation of the world? Can we let that truth like push past all of our barriers, push past all of our, like Taylor was talking about, disappointments and fears and whatever. Can we let that push past all of our, oh yeah, I already know that because I've been going to church for like eight years. Like, can we let it push past all of that and let a revelation hit our hearts that God is thinking about you before you were ever you? Like you were a thought in God's heart and he had a plan and he had a dream for what you would do. Like he thought about you. He knew about this moment when we would stand here and say, like, like you are good and you are good and using that declaration. He thought about that moment before we came to be. Like this is God. And so, man, this is the power of discovering what's in your heart. She, Sean just helped her like discover what God had put in her heart already. And so here's some questions, and this is like, I told that story first because I wanted the first question to, to mean a little bit more to us because I feel like sometimes we can just pass by, like I already know this. But the first, I, wanna, I want tonight to give some questions to help discover what's in our hearts, questions that we can ask God and ourselves. And the very first question is, God, what do you have for me? So simple. But as we can see, this question 
changes everything. A simple story. And I, and, I, and I want you to know it's so possible for us to hear God speak to us about our calling and to speak to us about our future. God, what do you have for me? Such a simple question to be asking the Lord. Ultimately, we don't want anything that God isn't leading us to. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, you know, as college age students, like there's, we can be like choosing our major and then like changing it. And then uh, forget that I'm going undeclared. It's like all this indecision. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, and, and sometimes you can feel directionless because this is like a period of time in, in your life where you're di- discovering who you are and what you're going to do. And some people like, I'm sick of everyone asking me what I want to do with my life. I hear this from young people sometimes you're like because I just graduated high school and someone's like what are you going to do with your life you know all this kind of stuff you know but it's so powerful when you discover what it is that's in your heart instead of waiting and so like you know you're in your 30s and your 40s and you're still going like what am I doing (laughs) what if we so simple just stopped and said father what do you have for me what's your dream and what if it was so simple as hey I want you to you know like he told the girl uh, to be a chef, to be a cook. Like, what if it was that simple? And now she's owning, probably by now, since the book has been written and the story is told, she's probably owning her own restaurant. Like, that's awesome. I just feel like it's so simple. And I know maybe it doesn't always happen the exact same way it would for that Hawaiian girl. But man, let's ask God. Like, why don't we just say, God, what's, let's say that with me. Say, God, what do you have for me? Well, like, God, and then we was, we're going to take a moment later to, to write some things down on this. But man, here's another question to help us discover what God has put in our hearts. Number two is, what moves my heart? What moves my heart? I want to read to you out of Nehemiah, and you can turn there in your Bibles if you want. Uh, But I just want to read to you a little bit out of the book of Nehemiah because this is a guy who discovered what was in his heart. And I'm just going to begin in in chapter one. And it says... Uh, verse one, here we go. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, <laughs> Bible names. It came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, verse two, that Hanani, <laughs> these are good names. One of my brethren came with men from Judah and I asked them Here we go. I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So he's asking. So Israel had been exiled from their land for a long time because they had disobeyed God. And so God had sent them away to another nation. And so now it's kind of coming to an end. And and it's ended. And now they're, they're having some time to kind of discover what's been going on. And this is what it says in verse 3, Nehemiah 1.3. He says, they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broke down and its gates are burned with fire. And verse 4, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And this is what it says in verse five. 
And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Come on, like, man, people don't pray like this anymore. This is good. Verse seven, we have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Verse 8, remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses. He's like, God, I want you to remember what you told us. Saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which happened to them. But verse 9, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He's like, remember when you said that if we like turn back to you, you would bring us back to our homeland? He said, now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's talking about the king because he said, for I was the king's cupbearer. He found this so far, like he hears about the destruction of his homeland and he actually breaks down and starts weeping. He goes into fasting and praying and he prays this prayer to God and says, God, please bring us home again and, and, and give, me, give me mercy in the sight of the king. And so it goes on in chapter two and he actually, he's a cupbearer to the king and he went to serve the king and he was there. And for some reason, he always looked happy, but for this day, he looks sad and the king looks at Nehemiah and he says, why are you sad today? Like, what's going on? And Nehemiah begins to tell him the things that are in his heart. He's like, basically, like, I just heard that my hometown is in ruins. And would you, would you grant me this request? And he goes on to ask him if he, can, if he would let him go back to his hometown and rebuild. And then, he, and then he gets even crazier. He starts saying, like, and also, can you send me some people who will also hook me up with a bunch of wood and then give me some permission so that I can go here protected? He's asking for protection from this king. He's asking for supplies and all this stuff. And he gets a couple of his friends and he goes down there. And, and this is what it says in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Verse 12, then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me, I told no one, check this out. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. You follow me on this? We're asking this question of what moves our heart. Like we have to ask ourselves the question, what are our tears pointing to? Because Nehemiah's tears led him to discover what God had put in his heart. Oh, this is really good stuff, and I'm not sure you're awake to get this right here. Are you, are you guys with me on this? Like the tears pointed to something, and we have to ask ourselves the question, what do my tears point to? Nehemiah's tears led him to discover what God has put in his heart. He heard about his, 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 old, uh, the old, the, his old hometown and it was broken down and it struck his heart and he began to weep and he began to mourn and go like, ah, something's moving. It's like, do you know what I'm saying? Like something touches your heart so much that you don't even know what's happening to you. Tears just start coming. And I get it. Like some of us may not be the crying type or whatever. But what moves your heart? The question we're asking is, what moves our heart? Because this will be a clue into what God has put inside of your heart. 
for me, I love music and all this stuff. Like I, I, I remember I was in taking me, taking, take me back. I'll take y'all back to my sixth grade year. You know, this is a long time ago, sixth grade. And I joined the beginning band at Lincoln Middle School. It's not even Lincoln Middle School anymore. It is like Vista Magnet School or something weird like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. Magnet schools are good or whatever, but it's sad when you drive by and it's not Lincoln anymore. Anyway, I was in beginning band because I just knew I loved music. And I remember this moment. And this may sound cheesy to you, but this was, this was a real deal that happened. I was just telling Joel this the other day. I was, I was sitting there as a beginning band student, like figuring out what am I going to do? Because like, they, you know, they give you a choice of what instrument you're going to play. And I think eventually, I, you know, I don't think I chose that day, but I just was like, okay, I'm going to play the alto saxophone because I like Kenny G. You know what I'm saying? So, so I started playing that. Sixth grade, come on, have, don't judge me. And so I'm sitting there, sixth grade, like, uh, and then they have the, the next seventh grade is like intermediate band, and then eighth grade is the symphonic band. Does anyone, did anyone have the same names of their stuff? Okay, so this is what we called it in Lincoln. It was symphonic band, which AKA means they're the good ones in the group. You know what I mean? Like, they're like the top notch. Like, we got, when we were in symphonic band, when I was in eighth grade, we got to play at Disneyland and stuff and like do all this. So it was really fun. But when I was in sixth grade, they had the symphonic band play for the, the beginning band, I think, to just kind of give us some vision, you know, to give us like a little bit of like, hey, this is what you could do with your, you know, whatever. And I can remember there was like a three or four piece. There was like a tuba, a trombone, a trumpet, and maybe some percussion instruments playing classic song, Louie, Louie. Do you guys know this song? Louie, Louie. And I'm telling you, they just played for like 60 seconds, like, you know, the trombone, you know, whatever it was. And when I look back, I'm like, okay, it's a little cheesy, but I sat there and I sat there on my seat and I actually, I'm not, don't judge me. I started crying when I'm sitting as a sixth grader, whatever. I'm sitting there listening to this music and my heart started moving, man. Like, I don't know, man. And this, it like, and I'm like, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, you know, I tell the story when I get saved and, 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 and I'm going to church for the first time and I start crying. I'm in the back row because I'm trying to like play the background and I start crying just because something's happening to my heart. Same thing, except for it wasn't in a church context. I was just listening to music and it was moving my heart. And, and so, you know, continue on with my life and, and all that. I remember the first time I heard Carlos Santana play guitar uh, and it moved my heart. I remember the first time that I heard Jimi Hendrix play all along the watchtower. And maybe not as much shouts on that. Okay. Secular, secular alert. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. You listen. Jacob knows what I'm talking about. So, you know. I remember hearing these solos, and I'm telling you, for lack of better terms, it was like butterflies were in my stomach hearing these, you know, you know, these songs moved in my heart, man. I remember going to a friend's house, so we were at his friend's house hanging out, and then, we, and then his neighbor invited us to come over. His neighbor had an older sister who had a boyfriend, so here's, that's the connection. And he played acoustic guitar and sang. He, he just... He's like, oh, let me show you guys a song I just wrote or whatever. He pulls out his guitar, starts singing. I don't even remember what he was singing about. All I know is that he was good. He could play guitar and sing really well. But when he started singing, the same thing started happening. Tears start coming. I'm like, I am so embarrassed. You know, like, it, 
it's kind of a thing. When your heart gets touched, this is stuff that happens, man. And I was moved to it. This happened again when I got saved. I, I got a passion CD. Uh, it was a worship album. And Chris Tomlin was singing this song called Kindness. So some of you guys don't even know what that song is because it's old. And, but the song says, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Your favor, Lord, is I desire. So I used to like, before I go to bed, just play the CD on there and like just go to sleep to worship music. Because I don't know, dude, I don't know anything about anything. I just thought like, um, I need more of God. So I'm gonna play worship before I go to bed. And I just, and I'm doing that push play on the CD. I'm, I'm like out, I'm out. And as soon as that song, it was like number six on the CD. And as soon as that song came, I literally woke up out of my dream with butterflies in my stomach, just like moved by this song. Stuff was moving. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just telling you all this because I want to encourage you that this is the stuff that happens that helps you discover what's in your heart. Music is a calling on my life. Worship is a calling on my life. And God was telling me this throughout the years. And what's moving your heart? I remember to another thing, I was drawn, I've always been drawn to like gospel preachers. So like people like T.D. Jakes and, and people who are like shouting, you know what I'm saying? I just, I just love them. And I remember one time I was like, well, that's, well, that's why the, I have a dream speech. And then the, the, I've been to the mountaintop speech. Have you guys heard this speech? The last speech of Martin Luther King, he actually prophesies about his death and it's crazy stuff. This stuff moves my heart, man. And I just knew like, there's something in this. And I remember, uh, Years ago, before I was even saved, I went to my friend's house who, who actually wasn't, they were, they were kind of like a Christian family, but, but the friend that I had wasn't totally like going for it. But he had a birthday party and he had a karaoke machine and he had a Bible sitting on top of it. And so I didn't know anything. I just wanted to be like this black gospel preacher. So I like took the Bible and took the microphone and flipped to like the book of Matthew and started going like, and the Lord said, and I started quoting scripture and preaching to everybody in there. I wasn't even saved, man. And I just started preaching to everyone in there. His mom comes downstairs, starts yelling at me. You do not do this and disrespect my God in my house. And like totally like rebukes me in front of everybody. I was like, mm, you know. But when I look back at this, I go like, that was in my heart. This stuff was in my heart for a long time. I wasn't even saved and it was still in there. And these moments help me to see what's in my heart. I wonder what those are in your life. I wonder what things have moved your heart and to, to show you the calling that God has put inside of you. And then hearing later on, like that, I heard later on after I got saved that, my grandmother on my dad's side was a worship leader at a Pentecostal church. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't just any church. It was like a Holy Ghost rolling church where they take laps and people fall on the ground all over the place. I love that. That's my favorite kind of church. Like, I don't like boring, unemotional church. I like shouting and like being passionate, man. I just love it. I got a spiritual inheritance. This is stuff I just discovered, you know, like going through life. What's the question is what moves your heart? Cause it's not going to be the same thing as me. What moves your heart? What moves your tears? Like what makes you come alive? One of the early church fathers, St. Irenaeus says the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. 
And you have to ask the question, what's moving your heart? Like what's living inside there? You have to ask the question. You have to ask the question, like what would you give your life for? What is the thing that makes you come alive? And, I, and I've asked this question. Sometimes I ask this with people when I first meet them to kind of discover who they are. And I say, if you had unlimited resources, if you had unlimited amounts of money and talent and resources and time, what would you do with your life? And sometimes I ask the question and people don't have an answer at all. Like there's nothing. And I just know that beyond the, the dirt, so to speak, beyond the things that inside there somewhere is something that makes them come alive. Are you with me on this? The third question I want to encourage us to ask is, what does the world need? What does the world need? Because sometimes we're just going like, it's all about me and, and you know, what can I do? Because I need to do my gifts and I need to do my talents and all that. So, well, let's, let's kind of ask what the world actually needs. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like Martin Luther King looked out and said, there is a need for racial equality in America. And this thing, put, you know, he said, I can meet that need. I can do something about it. And our lives are better because of it. I mean, what if, what if Martin Luther King just said, well, it was just, it's just about my, my good, my ability, my speaking gift. And, and I just pursued, you know, he just pursued being a great speaker instead of connecting with a greater cause? What if it was just about him being a good whatever he was and not really serving a greater cause? We have to ask the question, what does the world actually need? We will find most fulfillment when it's not self-serving, but when it's serving a greater cause and a greater purpose. When it's all about us, it ends really quickly. But when it's about serving the greater cause of God in the earth, we find that there's, the world needs something and we actually have something to contribute to that. Nehemiah saw a need and was moved to meet it. They, they told him that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and its gates are burned with fire. And so he says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. He saw that something needed help and he wasn't just about to let the thing pass him by. He says, no, 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 I am actually going to, I see a need and I'm not just gonna sit there and say, man, I hope someone does something for that one day. I'm gonna actually ask the Lord and ask, what need can I fill? What does the world need? Questions like, what problem do you wanna solve? Like questions like, how can you add value to what's going on in the world? What are the needs and the opportunities around you? It's like, it's taking a moment to look outside of ourselves and look for an opportunity to be a part of a larger story. Are you guys following me tonight? Did you guys know this? How many of y'all are the Star Wars fans? Yay! <laughs> Did you guys know that Daniel Craig is in the latest Star Wars episode? Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. There is a, there's a, a, a news company called The Independent, and they reported a quote, and they said that Daniel Craig asked for some sort of secret cameo role, but was happy, and it was happy to have his name left off of the posters. And then they said fans will love trying to work out which covered up character uh, is him, which some of you guys already know who he was. Can I say it or am I going to like ruin it? Well, I don't even, I mean, he's a stormtrooper, but I don't even know like, yeah, anyway, whatever. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Whatever. Here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I was I was reading this this blog by this guy named Tim Elmore, and he's a he's like a leadership expert guy, and this is what he says as to why Daniel Craig would would be a part of Star Wars. He said, the story is so big and so important in film history that these actors, because Daniel Craig isn't the only one who does this, that these actors are happy to play any role, even when it's not a starring role. 
in short, they're willing to play a relatively small role in an incredible story, regardless if it's central. It's about being in the story, not being a star. Like, God, you're doing something amazing on the earth. Like, I don't even care. If I, I'll be up front, I'll be, I don't, I'll just, just put me in there somewhere. Like, give me a role in the script, God. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll just be whoever you want me to be. I don't need my name on the poster. You know what I'm saying? I don't need my name in lights. All I need is just to be a part of your great story that's going on in the earth. This is what it means to be a part of a larger picture. He had, uh, he, you know, we talked about this with Nehemiah and you see with Daniel Craig and, and Martin Luther King, they had a cause greater than themselves. And Jesus tells, tells his disciples in Matthew 20, 26, he said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. It's about serving people with it. Leading worship from, from my life, is it has to be about helping people connect with God, not people going like, wow, you sing great, or wow, that's anointed, or wow, whatever. No, no, no. If, if people aren't worshiping God, then it's pointless. <laughs> if people don't connect with God, it's pointless. And the same thing with our destinies. If people aren't connecting with God through however we live our lives, then we have to go back to, wait, 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 what's the main purpose of life? glorify God. And my calling is what takes me to that place where I glorify God. The last question I want to leave you with is this. What have respected people spoken into my life? What have respected people spoken into my life? Like what have others seen in you and told you about? Like what, what is the feedback that you've gotten in your life? Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Man, I love feedback. I love it when people give feedback, like honest feedback. You know what I'm saying? Not like you have like your token yes people in your life. You know what I'm saying? The people, you know what I mean? Like, and sometimes that might be your mom. You know what I mean? That's okay. We love our moms, but they're probably never going to see anything bad in us. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be like, that was the best thing I've ever heard. And everyone else is like, oh my God, what the, you know, like, and it's not anything bad against your mom. I'm just saying like, are you talking about my mama? Yeah, I am. And I'm just saying that sometimes like you may not want to just take only her feedback for your life. You know what I'm saying? You may want to take the general public's feedback for your life. Maybe you want to ask some respected people in your life, whoever that is, whether it's a leader or a boss or a good friend, someone who's going to actually tell you the truth about what they see is God put in your heart. Are you with me on this? Like how many guys have honestly, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many guys have honestly asked people feedback on your life? Like, Hey, how do you actually think I'm doing? Like, am I, you know, like, am I actually being loving or do I blow up on everybody? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I know we're going into character stuff now, but we might as well since we're here, you know, like having honest feedback, because it's one thing to be like, I am declaring this over my life. I am a loving, compassionate, gentle, patient. That's great. Do you call it into existence? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but sometimes it's good to get a reality check and say like, how is my life actually impacting yours? Because that'll be the true test of what's actually changed being uh, happening in your heart. You know what I'm saying? Is there a change actually occurring in my heart or am I at, am I at the same place I was last year? Hey, what have respected people spoken into our lives? 
And then are we even taking that and doing anything with it? Are we like, no, no, no. See, the reason why you thought that, and you get all defenses, defensive, the reason why you thought that is because this, this, and this, that, you don't really, you ain't seen it right. Actually, I see it right and you don't. You're like, well, why are you asking them for feedback then? <laughs> like, <laughs> sometimes we can be independent and think that that's the solution to success. But man, people who have gotten success in life never have done it alone. John Maxwell said that if you're lonely at the top, then you did something wrong. <laughs> and it's so powerful. And sometimes it's painful. And this is the stuff that helps us discover what's in our heart. Remember, we're talking about discovering what's in our heart, defining the dream. Like, what is the God dream that God put inside of you? Nehemiah discovered what God had put in. He literally used the phrase, what God had put in my heart. The question for us is, you're, the thing that God put in your heart is not to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Already been done. It's something else for you to do. <laughs> it's not for you to lead a movement, civil rights movement. Already been done. I mean, maybe continue it, you know, whatever. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, what's your purpose? Like, what's your calling, rather? What have people said? It's a powerful thing to discover what God has put in our hearts. And the world will be a better place because of it. And so... Next week, we'll continue on this, and I'm just going to leave you with this thought, and then we're going to do a little activity, activation thing. Just write this down. Genesis 12, verse 1, and we're going to look at Abraham's story more next week. But Genesis 12, verse 1, God says this to Abraham. He says, and before his name was Abraham, is Abram. He said, Abram, I want you to get up and leave your family. And he says this phrase in verse 1. He says, I want you to leave and go to a land that I will show you. So we're like, what's my calling? Uh, just start moving. <laughs> and here's what I want to leave you with. Because, because this, is, this goes with the issue of clarity. You, you keep reading the chapter and you go, I think it's verse 6 or 8. Figure it out. It's in there. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him. And he was, because he was in another, he actually started going somewhere. He was in another land. He, the Lord appeared to him and said, this is the land I will give to your descendants. One sentence. First call was, go to a land that I will show you. Second time he talks to him, this is the land that I'm giving to your descendants. Here's the point, that as you move forward with the little bit that you see, the little picture that you see, God will give you clarity and more clarity and more clarity as you move forward with the little that God is showing you today. Because some of us would be like, well, I don't know, you know, I just think, like, all I heard was, you know, I just saw, like, a toothbrush. I don't know, you know, or whatever. But, like, I don't know. Well, I like the dentist. I don't, I'm just saying, like, sometimes we go, like, there's only one little tiny inkling, and then we're like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do, and we stay in neutral and don't do anything, which, according to quantum physics, you're actually going backwards if you're not doing anything. Wow. Amen. And so the reality is, is, You'd be like, I need more clarity. I need more clarity. I need to know. Why don't you just start moving forward to the land that God will show you? And then he'll show you the land and it'll get more and more clear as you move forward and be faithful with the very little that God's showing you today. Are you with me on this? Just say amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. Take out a piece of paper if you don't have one or something to write with so that, or type with. This is 2016. Come on. <laughs> Get a pen and a paper. Oh, wait a second. Get your phone or your tablet, you know, whatever. Here's what I want you to do. And maybe we just, we'll just have some piano playing in the background. And 
just because, just to kind of create a moment, but here's what we want to do. We want to just honestly ask God and ask ourselves these four questions. God, what do you have for me? What moves my heart? What does the world need? And what have respected people spoken about? I mean, this message is so simple, but I'm telling you, for some of us, this could be a moment of clarity for us to start moving forward into what God has for us. And so I want you to take a moment and honestly ask yourself these questions and then write whatever comes, you know, like we can ask the Holy Spirit, we can, we can just start doing this. And, and so Father, I just pray for each one of our hearts that you would give us revelation, that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask you for your spirit of prophecy to be in this place. And Lord, that we'd have clear, clear vision on the calling that you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name, just take a moment write some stuff, ask yourself those questions. We're going to take just a few minutes for this, and then we have one more thing to do after that.